You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Nigel, I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. Thank you to everyone for joining me today to discuss uh, fostering a culture of innovation within tech teams. Uh, so before I begin, uh, I, I'd like uh, to introduce my two guests, Adele Smee, an engineering manager at Ferocia, and Sam Pereira, a delivery lead at EonX. Um, now, guys, if you could introduce yourselves, um, a little bit about yourselves, uh, who you are and what you're passionate about, that would be great. Should I go first, Sam? Yeah, go for it, uh, Del. Fantastic. Hi, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Um, yeah, my name's Adele. I'm an engineering manager at Ferocia. Uh, I started out many years ago teaching programming at RMIT, which I kind of fell into in random circumstances, as, as a lot of people who get into the tech industry seem to. Uh, but after doing that for about seven years and loving every second of it, I realized that I'd been telling people to do something that I'd never done, and that was pretty lame, especially since I was teaching at TAFE, which was very practical and hands-on. So uh, I was lucky enough to know people in the industry and uh, yet yeah, got a job in a startup and have been working ever since. Um, I, again, fluked my way into management a few years after uh, being an engineer for several years. Uh, I remember my boss quit, and on the you know the day she told us she was leaving, she turned to me and went, "And you'll be the next manager." And I went, "What?" And she looked around and went, "Well, who else would it be?" And I went, "Oh yeah, fair point." So I ended up managing, and it turns out I love management almost as much as I love teaching. Uh, I really do get my kicks of the success of the team as opposed to the individual. So that's definitely one of my passions. How can we be more humane? Um, effective managers, you know, we have to feed the capitalist beast, but also we're people and we're trying to live our lives. So finding a balance of those two things, which I think I'm so lucky I work in the tech industry because, you know, demand for engineers right now greatly outstrips supply. So I have a lot of ammunition when I say to, you know, my bosses, we need to do this because it will make people happier, healthier, safer, whatever it is. So that's one of my massive passions. The other one, just to squeak it in, uh, would be uh, helping new people enter the industry. Um, I think we're terrible at onboarding juniors and junior engineers into the industry. Most companies don't want to take the hit, even though I think uh, having a junior on a team is one of the best things you can do for the engineers on that team and the work that comes out of it. So I'm very passionate about that as well. So you will see me around the traps uh, talking to boot camps and schools and, and trying to encourage people to hang in there because that first job, unfortunately, it's hard to get. Well, it can be. Less so now, thank goodness. So, yeah, that's me. Perfect. And, and Sam? Yeah, sure. Hey, Nigel and, and everyone. Um, uh, it's really, really exciting and great to be here. Um, so my name is Sam, Sam Pereira. Uh, I'm a delivery lead at Eonex. It's a, it's a fintech based in Melbourne, uh, they have we have three different types of products that we kind of develop and and uh, deliver, uh, which is payment integrations, digital wallets, and loyalty. Um, and I think uh, this particular topic that we're going to discuss today um, is very fitting because uh, at, uh, that's everything that we try to strive uh, every day 
in order to deliver the, the kind of uh, um, value that our customers expect, right? And from a personal standpoint, I think I'm, I'm, I'm really passionate about delivering features and software products that really make genuine impact, genuine difference in our customers' lives. So in that sense, I think innovation is at the front and center of that, all, that entire conversation. And uh, the other thing, one of the other passion for me is uh, helping, um, similar to Adele, like, you know, the newcomers helping, you know, finding their, their feet and finding their way uh, into, the, into the industry because I think uh, most of the time we don't um, discuss or, 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 or um, look into the, the areas that we can support our junior people, right? I mean, we, we expect them to have all these you know, qualifications and skills, but how can we set them up for success and how can we work as a team to, to achieve what we want? So I'm really, really passionate about, you know, mentoring, coaching, because and, and the other thing is that every time I teach, I get to learn as well. So that's the best way to learn, in, in my opinion. So, yeah, that's about me. Perfect. Lovely introductions, guys. Um, so we'll, we'll get into, I suppose, the first question, um, which was proposed by Adele. So what what does innovation mean to you? And I suppose, what is the most important ingredient um, within innovation? Um, Adele, I suppose, you, you can... Answer my own question, yeah, great. <laughs> Here's one I prepared earlier. No, I think... Um, I think it's the question is kind of the answer for me, right? So, what does innovation mean to you? I I see, especially in the tech industry, right? We love new shiny things. Look at this new framework. Look at this new tool. Look at this new cloud product. Whatever it is, right? There's a lot of new stuff, and I think it is really important to start where you are with innovation. So, you need to ask yourself, what does innovation mean? to me right you know do we need where are we now and not where do we want to be because I think that can also get in the way of innovation too much but you know where are we now what isn't working what do we need to optimize what do we have if we're doing well the resources to invest in right now and as opposed to sitting here and googling stuff and being on hacker news and being on all these these websites and going oh well innovation means we've got to sell nfts you know or innovation means we're moving to the blockchain you know <laughs> it's terrifying right innovation isn't something that happens to you from the outside it's something that you bring based on where you are and what your particular needs are right i've just moved into the banking industry the banking industry especially on a technical level, is decades behind the rest of the world. Uh, but there are actually really good reasons for that. So do we want to innovate on, on those sorts of, you know, mainframe infrastructure? Maybe we do. But also, you know, is that where we want to put our attention? Should we be innovating in different ways in how we approach customers or or how we build our products and, and, and the kindness and the accessibility and all that sort of thing? So I think it's, yeah, it's very interesting to ask what does innovation mean to you, not what is the world telling you that innovation is, because that's kind of self-defeating. And then getting into the second part of the question the most important ingredient for innovation. Because when we're talking about innovation, and I guess we should maybe talk about, you know, what I think of when we say innovation, it's changing things, fine. But, you know, my old boss used to say that software development is the business of change. That's what individual engineers do. They create change every day and then they release that change off into the world. 
um, with mixed results. Um, so innovation is change, but I think it's change that uh, that is transformational, that changes not just, you know, a thing, I've added this new button or this new feature, but maybe it changes the way our customers see us or it changes, uh, you know, how we relate to the world as a business or it changes the way we work as a team or it changes the way we communicate in a way that we haven't done before and we weren't imagining that we would do. So there's got to be a little element of surprise in innovation, right? Which is why I was a little scared about doing this podcast on innovation because, because I don't think I can tell any of you what innovation is, right? You need to work that out. However, second part of the question, sorry, I do go on, um, is what is the most important ingredient in innovation? And we can talk about this later, but I will stop talking now, but it's, I think, far and away, psychological safety. If people don't have that feeling that, you know, this change that I've proposed that is unexpected, that is different from who we are, how we see ourselves or how we work, then you're not getting it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very, very insightful there as well. Uh, Sam, I suppose, what what does innovation, I suppose, mean to you, and I suppose, what, what do you think are you know the most important ingredients to it as well? Yeah, I mean, um, um, Nigel, I, I I completely agree with everything that Adele just mentioned, right? And and when I first saw this uh, question uh, coming through, uh, I think uh, it gave me a really a uh, big uh, reality check like you know i mean this is this is okay innovation right i mean it has become kind of a buzzword or a cliche in the industry and then how often do we go back to our basics and ask what does it really mean to you right i mean in the other day i was just reading this post and they asked that when was the last time you visited your basics so so keeping in line with that i i just went back and and checked the dictionary uh, uh uh explanation of the word innovation right and and now i'm going to read it like you know it says that make changes in something established especially by introducing new methods ideas or products right so so that's the that's the that's the the word that we have known for for ages right and yes we talk about innovation in tech industry because like you like you said Adele, software industry or the tech industry is in the business of changing things and we need to continuously innovate. But I think, I think you know, to, to your point, I think we always need to look at the problem that we have in hand in order to solve because you can't innovate for the sake of innovation, right, or innovating. Um, they say that, you know, mother of every innovation is, is a need. So you have to look into the, to the need of you or your team or your customers. What is the problem that you're trying to solve? And then look at different ways you know don't don't get get boxed into the same thing or the same way that you have been doing things for so long because you feel comfortable and you feel that it's efficient because you you see the cogs moving really well in the in the way that you're currently doing or the product that you have or the way that you have solved that problem right now right but then that doesn't mean that it's the best way uh, now, because it could have been the best way or it may have been the best way, you know, a couple of years ago or a couple of months ago. But then, you know, at the pace that the world's moving, circumstances change, customers' needs change, technology changes, you know, people, so, you know, the, the way that they think changes. So so I think you need to always look at those external factors and see, all right, but how can we do things differently? What are the problematic areas or what are the things or where are we getting slowed down? What is slowing us down? And 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 what is making customers happy and what is making customers unhappy and then specifically look at those areas and think outside the box and see see what else we could do. And um, yes, the second part of the question is 
Yes, I mean, I agree. Again, it's become a cliche. I think most of the times people just talk about psychological safety or safe environments in, in like in, in buzzword terms. But what does it again mean, right? I mean, that means that you are, you are given the, 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 the opportunity to try something without the, the fear of being, you know, or failure or, or being having those repercussions. But um, I, think, I think leadership providing that particular environment rather than just talking, uh, and and leading with example and 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 rewarding the effort, not just the the outcome. I think the other day, Sundar Pichai mentioned something along that line uh, when he had an interview in Stanford. He said that you know most of the organizations kind of you know or the leadership they try to reward outcomes than the effort. But I think we need to equally acknowledge and appreciate the effort that people or the teams put in, because that's the only way that we can you know drive innovation. Yeah, also, you know, very detailed there and, you know, certainly a great start to the topic. Um, I suppose we've probably touched on some of the, the next question a little bit, I suppose, in terms of the psycholo psychological safety aspect. Um, but, Sam, I suppose your question is, um, what, what do you think are the barriers that prevent uh, a culture of innovation? Um, and I suppose we'll, we'll let you uh, kick that one off. All right. Um, I think the barriers, I mean, if you look at, there are many barriers, right? I mean, and, and, and it varies. It all varies depending on the industry you are in, the kind of maturity of your team and the leadership style and the size of the organization and all that. I think what I can generalize across all the different types of these, these areas is that, okay, what's the, 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 the leadership team doing and the environment that it has created? your tech stack or the technology and the skill set that's that's inside the organization and the kind of problems that you're trying to solve. So I think this goes back to the three things that that I read somewhere. It's like, you know, the, the, the sweet spot of innovation is where you can strike the balance in between desirability, feasibility, and what's the other one? Um, viability. Right. So, so desirability is all about that external fact. Like, you know, are we are we resolving the right problem? What's the actual problem we are trying to solve? And the other one is, you know, whether whether we have the right skill set, the technology, or the or the environment, the conditions to to implement that kind of innovative solution. And the last one is viability is where you know whatever you invent, does it align with your you know long term product strategy and the organizational strategy and the values. Uh, that the, the organization is, is is built upon. So I think the first one is, yes, you know, leadership providing that environment, psychological safety. That's the first one. And the ne next one is um, um, the, the kind of tech that, that your organization uh, operates, whether it's preventing you from innovating or, or, or kind of supporting you from innovating. Like, for example, like if you have legacy systems with a lot of tech debt, you might not be even able to, you know, conduct an A/B test because your system might not even, you know, allow you to do something like that, right? And without certain experiments and testing, you won't be able to, you know, safely or, 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 or innovate without disrupting your current business model. And the other one is like, you know, feature toggles, right? You know, so I have seen so many legacy systems which would not allow you to, you know, implement feature toggles. So, so then again, you know, you, it, it prohibits from in, innovating. I think the other one is communication because communication is where you need to make sure that where the problems are. So, so if you if you don't report, if you don't clearly measure the 
the, the, the things that happens on the ground, you might even not know where the problem is. Um, you might think that, you know, everything is happening really smoothly and then there's nothing for you to, you know, look after or worry about. But uh, having those metrics nicely captured, communicating both upwards and downwards is the key where people will know that this is where the problem is. And again, Nigel, going back to that psychological safety, I think there are a few other factors, right? You know, making sure that the your choir team members, your junior, more junior team members, they are encouraged to speak up because they will, you know, most of the time, junior people who are new to the organization, they bring this fresh perspective. And, and for the people who have been there for a long time and have become part of the furniture and they might not see the problem, right? So encouraging those junior team members and giving that that right environment to speak up is is a really really great way to encourage uh, um, um, uh, innovation and and then by making those people quiet you are inhibiting and you know you are kind of stifling that innovation. Uh, the other one is the the by by keeping that psychological safety people will have a greater reach to the leadership team. They will be able to like you know going back to that communication thing right. If something is gone wrong then they, they need to feel safe to let you, their, their leadership team know that, yes, this is where the current problem is without any having any repercussions so that the leadership can sponsor, support, and guide them towards a, 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 a proper solution. And, yeah, so those are the things that I think should be there. Like, in absence of those, will prohibit innovation. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I, I had a, a very similar answer in mind, actually, in, in maybe just stepping back then because you gave so many great examples, but the barriers that will prevent a culture of innovation are essentially the systems that you're working within. And I think it's really interesting to identify which ones you can change and which ones you can't. So, for example, if there's, you know, a culture at your company of micromanaging everybody, you know, what time did you sit down? When did you start typing? When did you stop? <laughs> Why did Slack show you were offline between, you know, all these kinds of things? You know, obviously that's a system that is going to stifle innovation, but it's one that you can change. It's within your control. You can make a concerted effort. It's going to be hard because people, I think, on some level are the hardest things to change. Um, but it is still within your control and you can change those systems to create more safety, more autonomy, more freedom of thought. You know, we, we haven't mentioned the word slack yet. Right. But if you don't build slack into your processes so that people have time to just sit on the couch and think <laughs> you're not going to get new ideas. You're going to get the next card on the board being worked on. And, and sometimes that's what we do want. Right. But it's, it's finding a balance between. Um, and, you know, systems like, you know, some of these systems, I think, you know, I've seen this before you know, companies that build, for example, a monolith, right? They're really good at something. They find product market fit. It's all very exciting. They're getting lots of customers. They keep tacking things on the outside of their giant monolith that serves the, your, their customers and makes them lots of money. But unless you stop at some point and go, hey, do we just want to do this one thing forever? And go, well, if we don't, we're going to need to re-architect. We're going to need to start making changes to this giant 
you know, <laughs> machine that nobody fully understands anymore because it's too big and complex. We need to address that. You know, these are big years long initiatives, but if you don't ever do that, then you will paint yourself into a corner. And we've seen tech companies that do this that can't seem, when was the last time they did anything new? You know, it's because probably there's a bunch of engineers in a room shoveling coal into a coal face, you know, and that's all they can do just to keep the lights on. So looking at those kinds of systems that you can change, looking at the systems you can't change or maybe shouldn't change, you know, we both work in finance, so maybe you've got something to add to this, Sam, but, you know, I like a regulated financial system. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on a podcast about innovation, but I played Monopoly as a kid. I stole from the bank. Like, you know, <laughs> the world is not full of people that are going to play fair, right? So I want as a bit of, not heaps, you know, let's not cripple ourselves with overcompliance, but I would like to work in some systems that do have guardrails and rules and regulations, and I don't necessarily want to change those. However, there will be people maybe listening to this right now screaming, but what about Uber? I mean, they ignored all of the systems in place and, you know, release this new product on the world. And I'm not going to make any particular assertions on how much harm it's, or good it's called, but, you know, they are a very large company and we do all catch Ubers. So I guess if that's, if that's your deal, you know, you can look at some of these existing systems and go, no, I could, I could get around that. Although please, if you do ask yourself, should I? <laughs> Is this good for people? Uh, but yeah, I think same answer, Sam, just different perspective. It, the systems that surround you will determine whether you're able to innovate or not. Uh, I think I think just, just on that last point, I mean, I agree with you, right? I mean, regulation can stifle innovation. I think this is where I think I go back to that, that the language used by the leadership team when you when you guide or lead a team with with, an, with your next in, uh, initiative, uh, because you know you can you can interpret. I think some people overinterpret certain regulations and then they just impose that 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 feeling or of fear down to the team, and then they go like, oh, what if uh, does it mean that I can't do like this way or, or or this particular approach? And they will they will go quiet without even you know putting that proposal uh, out there. So I think I think interpreting the regulation, especially in a, in a well heavily regulated sector like financial sector, is, is important. And then using the right language and to communicate those, those regulations, because that's why you have people up in the hierarchy to interpret or deal with those regulations and, and understand those, right? So you need to clearly simplify the message when it gets to the, the the level where people on the ground doing the actual work, you know, developing a software in order to comply with those regulations, and then creating that that sense of the sense of um, freedom to operate, you know, the guardrails, uh, will 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 make sure that we kind of strike the right balance. Absolutely, and and you know, I I work for Ferocia, which builds up bank and. Look, I haven't been there that long, so let me be very clear. I am no expert on this topic, but I really reckon one of the competitive advantages of UpBank is that it was conceived and created by people who hadn't worked in the banking sector for 20 years. You know, they definitely had experience in the sector, but it wasn't, uh, they weren't They weren't trained in that, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> they hadn't learned those lessons, and so they came to it with fresh eyes and, uh, and have been uh, quite the success. Yep. 
lots of food for thought there around the barriers, uh, you know, preventing a culture of innovation. And so, yeah, some some very insightful, I suppose, takes there for sure. Um, I suppose on to the next question then, um, which it does. uh, So if my team has trouble delivering, how do we innovate? So I suppose maybe some context, maybe around that one, and then, um, yeah, I suppose be we, we can get into the answers. Yeah, and I think again, it's that it's going back to the first question again, but this idea of what is innovation, right? If my team has trouble delivering, I would very much like to innovate on some of the ingredients that go into us delivering. Is it our communication? Is it how we break down work? You know, is again, are there things within our control that levers we can pull or even things, you know, that we can change, you know, are stand-ups working for us? Are they not working for us? You know, I, I agile is now a bad word in some circles, but you know, the whole point of it, as far as I saw it, was to try and ship software to people who use that software. So, you know, stepping back and looking at it that way, you know, what can we change within the team to help? And, and you know, I've never met an engineer that didn't want to ship software to customers. I've known engineers to leave companies because they were having trouble shipping software to customers. So this is something that's going to excite the people. Um, And even if your business, your bigger systems, maybe there's something about the bigger system that you operate in that, that does stifle your ability to innovate. You can at least innovate on the level of the team and how you work and and how you ship and how you treat each other and (laughs) how you see the work that you're coming in, how you communicate to your org. You know, one of my big themes at the moment, because I always have a theme, you know, that I'm kind of bang on about is, you know, I don't think in engineering we necessarily have good enough storytellers. What is the story that we tell about this team, right? And we've all worked in companies where, oh, that team, oh, they just can't deliver. Oh, that team, they just, you know, they can't do that or they can't get that done or or that team's slow or that team's cautious or that, you know, what are the stories we tell about the work that we do? Can we innovate on that? Because engineers need that. They need, it's like their oxygen. They need change. They need new things. And sometimes you're working in a business where there's not going to be a lot of that. There's still still scope for that. So, um, yeah, I would very much say um, innovation is crucial because um, in most technical sectors, maybe all, in fact, all, I would say, because we just had, yeah, some very old technology that needs updating come through the pipeline, or I saw it go past on the pipeline. You know, it is fundamental to how we operate. And so you should be able to include it wherever you are in whatever situation that you're working in. So, yeah, that's my two cents. And, yeah, I mean, I, when I first saw this question, I was I was so glad that this question is here because this is what I do day in, day out, right? I mean, how do, how, how do we make delivery more efficient and, and, you know, and how do we get our teams to deliver uh, with innovation? Now, I think... I think uh, the, the, going back to the basics again, I mean, the moment we talk about innovation, I think most of the people, what they what they paint in their mind is a, an innovative product, like, for example, the iPhone or the, you know, the Tesla Model 3 or whatnot, right? But then very rarely we talk about the process 
that that happened behind that product? I mean, what 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 were the what were what are the steps or the thinking process that went into that final product being developed? So, so to me, as a delivery person, um, um, what I think is the innovation can happen. I think Adele, you you mentioned this as well. Like it's not so much about the product, yes, because that's the final result. But then, how do we innovate? Our processes, you know, how, the way that we communicate across the teams with our with our uh, customers, so that we can understand them better and then realize what the problems that they're facing. So, I think innovation can happen not just with the product as a final outcome, but thinking along the way. Um, every, like, you know, if you can map out your entire delivery process, and then start thinking like, okay, what are the areas that are really working well for us, which gives uh, or increases the chances of, you know, innovating uh, a final product. And what are the things that are inhibiting us, right? And then start innovating in those steps, around those steps, will only increase the, the delivery of, a, of an innovative product at the end. So wherever you, you, you see the team struggling to deliver um, 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 while innovating, I think that's where you need to, that's what I would do. I would just map the entire ex existing delivery pipeline and see, okay, we, we would like to innovate our solutions, our, our approach to the way that we deliver value to our customers. But what are the steps that we can look at and innovate along the way so that we increase the chance? Yes, yeah, very good there as well. I think, you know, it's, Pretty insightful in that. Um, I suppose you know when, when things mightn't be going so well that within that you know it's pretty much you know perfect time, perfect opportunity to innovate and you know change that process for the better. So I think it's uh, yeah, pr pretty interesting there. Um, so I suppose on, on the next question, um, then Sam, um, so th this is I suppose yours around I suppose the the hackathons um, and and that. That kind of culture. So, um, the the question is: we, we see most organisations run hackathon days to spark the innovation culture, which is at best two to three times a year. How can we explore ways to make innovation part of the day-to-day -day activities, and team members uh, think innovatively with their actual customer problem solving? Yeah, Nigel. So this is something that I noticed uh, at uh, one of the the organisation I used to work for. Um, we, we, I mean, it was really good. I think this is again something that uh, became a buzzword or or a cool thing to do as a as a tech team or a tech company. Um, and then one of the things that they used to, uh, you know, um, mention in their job advertisements as well, right? You know, we run hackathons. But then, what does it mean? Like, you know, okay, you 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 once every quarter, you just stop what you are doing, and you know, start thinking of doing something different. Right, and then it could be along the ways of uh, the problems that you have been facing. Or, or I sometimes I also felt that people were given briefs uh, on those during those hackathons uh, to do whatever they want, and then they came up with something completely uh, irrelevant to the to the business model or the values of that organization. So that's where I I, I really felt that uh, that that uh, viability is really important when you try to find that sweet spot of of innovation. Right. So to me. And then you you go through this hackathon 
activity for everything is very collaborative you know the the you can see the senior leadership team comes down and then you know they mingle with all the development teams they ask a lot of questions about the things that they they have you know working on during those two days and you can see the excitement with with uh, from the team members right and then after those two days you go back to your desk start looking at the next ticket in the jira backlog and then just start developing and, and, and you know everything falls back to what it was two days before right and i feel like no this is this is a waste of time waste of energy waste of waste of everything all the resources why can't we just continue i mean the first thing that i thought was okay when it leading up to the hackathon well, how can we align our delivery teams to to look at the problems that they have been facing in the past up until that moment with products with custom experience with uh, your processes with the way that you have reported you know everything and then kind of start thinking along that line and then you utilize those two days to 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 use that focus approach you can come up with something right and then you see your leadership team coming down and mingling with you and then you know asking all those questions and then following up that you darad then falling back to the, the the previous status quo you you follow through you you continue uh, making you know um, uh, scaling those those new solutions that they came you came up with and and what i thought was you know the kind of feedback that they got during those hackathon days from the leadership team how fabulous would it be if if it continued throughout the sprint in sprint out right um, and that that's that's the kind of thing that we talk about when it comes to sprint to reviews and and the showcases but then most of the times what you see on a regular sprint review or showcase is just the team showcasing to each other but 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 then imagine like you know the the kind of kind of thing that you see happening in a hackathon happening on a day to day basis that's that's the kind of culture that 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 we need to cultivate so that we we again increase the chances of innovation and and again uh, Nigel to that point we just need to think of not just the final product but every step of the way i mean even even as as um, i don't want to play it down but then you you look at your your well, customer service desk right i mean most of the people don't even think about what are the ways that we can innovate when it comes to customer query answers like you know it doesn't have to be another you know um, a big guy for like i said before you just think of the way that you structure your team how do you answer your phone calls how what are the tools how do you get back to your customers rather quickly and if it was a problem that you need to solve do you have to go through the current processes or the current steps that you follow all those things matter when it comes to our customer you know delivering proper customer value with innovation so so having that kind of a mindset you know how do we think of doing something different better on a day in day out basis is what i would like to see in happening in a in an organization not just once or twice a year i have a follow up question sam is that all right because <laughs> i'm fascinated by the business that you're in and it's like you know the payment system you know how we move money around in the world has completely changed like i walked past a gentleman yesterday asking for money and like i i can't remember the last time i carried even a purse let alone cash or coins or you know the the world of finance has has changed but i i don't think anybody has a handle on this is where it's going to be in 3 years this is what it's going to be it's it's changing under us as we as we continue right so 
it seems like in that business, it's even more important that you have that daily, <laughs> someone needs to be looking around going, what's happening now? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think the, if you don't innovate, you know, you'll be left behind, right? I mean, someone else will come and, you know, uh, grab that particular opportunity. I think this is where we should not get complacent. I mean, I think, I think since I have worked in both startup organizations as well as more established organizations, what I see, uh, Adele, is that during startup, you have not, not, probably you don't have much to lose. So you take risks, you take bigger risks, right? And you are not pressed to make your bottom line greener or black. Right, you just need to keep on uh, 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 experimenting, trying to find the next big opportunity. But as you scale and as you hit the right market opportunity, and then when you get established or, 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 or settled it in, then you kind of get you have something to lose, and that's that's the kind of mindset you, you know, most of these established organizations have. Like, you know, all right, we have this pie in the market now. What can we do not to lose it? So, so in, with that mindset, they 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 just stop innovating and and by playing it safe. I think the, I think the right balance should be to make sure that your current pie or share of the pie is maintained or increased, but at the same time, not to lose that spark. Yeah. And they, like you said, someone. I think I think didn't I hear that you know some organization have or created this new role called the chief innovative officer. And I think I think that's probably a, a good step. I mean, a, a step towards the right direction because you need to have that that mental or brain power allocated to that that kind of area where you constantly think that all right, guys, this is what we are settled with, but how can we get better? And yes, if you can have that kind of mindset, is that that is the way. Otherwise, yeah, you'll be left behind. Absolutely. And so getting to my answer, that's perfect, leads into to that question would be look at your incentives, right? Mm-hmm. Humans are not silly. Engineers especially are not silly. They will optimize for what is going to give them, you know, whatever resources, time, money, you know, that their status that they're particularly interested in. And so if your culture of incentives is you will be rewarded for the most number of tickets across the board, or you will be rewarded for most number of hours at your desk or, you know, and there's different ways. They never say that, but, but we all know that that's what some of these incentive structures actually mean. Then you will not get innovation. Again, it comes back to Slack, right? That's, that's what hackathons are. Here is some Slack. Go and do a thing with some people, and that's we'll support you with snacks and time. But that's, you know, that's what it is. So you need to have that Slack built in. And then one other little thing I think I just add in there is it's all about. Uh, sorry, it's not all about. What am I saying? Innovation can often appear when people get out of their lane, right? So you know, engineers I find think about innovation in terms of, oh, we need to port everything to Rust or whatever the latest language of, of, of flavor is, you know, that they like. Um, and they don't tend to look around so much at maybe customers or maybe profit. Like how do we, what are the costs? What do we sell it for? You know, they don't think about that. They're just, they're firmly in their lane. And I've seen really exciting things happen when engineers start to hang out with customers, you know, go on those research calls and, oh, the customer said this and I just did it this morning. I changed three lines and now, you know, we've got this whole new thing, right? 
or, or product owners that really can get into understanding normally technical limitations, but also technical opportunities, right? I see, I see a bunch around at the moment that don't understand it. Oh, can we add in blockchain? No, no, we can't go away, you know, but, but still, you know, people that can, can uh, you know, get more into that or the accountants, right? This is what is costing us money. You know, how can we, you know, engineers will see this as a game. How can I lower that number? How can I decrease that cost? So, so I think getting out of your lane, um, but also incentivizing people. Again, if everything is, oh my God, on fire, urgent, there's a deadline of next week, you know, you're not, you're not going to get any of this. So creating that environment where these things are even possible. I think it is fascinating because you kind of touched on this a bit too. You know, I've worked in a bunch of small companies, tiny companies, and then a couple of really big ones. And innovation is so much more affordable in the bigger companies, but so much more incentivized. You know, and you did touch on some of the reasons in the smaller ones. And I think it's fascinating that as something grows, the urge to micromanage it. You know, if I've got 10 people and I know them all, I just trust that they're off doing something useful for the company. If I've got a thousand people, I want to know, I want to track, I want reports, I want to see, you know. And I think that's not, that's not good. That's that. This is why the big company. One of the reasons why the big companies can slow and grind to a halt, or just double down on things that, as you said, they're not even real anymore. You know, we've moved on. The world has changed. Let it go. You know, I'm sorry, um, Kodak, <laughs> you're done. You know, so yeah. Kodak, Nokia, yeah, they're they're the classic examples. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose just touching on that, then I, I suppose. How important would you guys think that, say, having fun, you know, in the workplace or throughout the, the process delivers kind of more, I suppose, innovative outcomes? Um, what would you going to think around that? I suppose, I suppose people having that more playful mindset, do you think that delivers more innovation? 100%. If you're worried you're going to be made redundant tomorrow, you're not thinking about, you know, or if you're worried that your boss is going to tell you yet again that, you know, you're not getting enough work done, you're not thinking about innovation. It's a hundred, hundred percent, hundred percent. And this is, you know, again, where culture comes back into it, that culture of innovation, that culture of play, that culture of possibility and excitement and support when you come up with these ideas. Critical. Right. Um, and then I suppose on to the next question, um, I, suppose, I suppose, how is diversity related to innovation? Um, so I suppose, Adele, uh, your, your question, so we'll, we'll let you get started with that again. And, uh, you know, I think we've covered a few of, of these things. You know, I'm just going to reference Sam's earlier answer on junior engineers in the team. But just wanted to quickly talk about diversity as well and, you know, we can paint with broad brushstrokes in this industry, like like a lot of them, about what diversity looks like, you know. Oh, I'm diverse because I'm a lady, you know. Well, am I or, or have I worked in the banking industry for 30 years and I'm completely institutionalized? So the diversity that I really, you know, want to emphasize here is diversity of thought, of perspective, of experience, of, you know, just where people are standing. Uh, I think that is absolutely critical absolutely critical you know i love 
having, I call them the squeaky wheels. You know, I need to have in my in my teams, if I have a high performing team, there's at least one squeaky wheel who's like, nothing is ever good enough. and <laughs> This sucks. And we need to change this. And why haven't we fixed this? I, I want that person, <laughs> even if some days I'm like, yep, I get it. I get it. You know, so it's really 100 percent. Uh, critical and once again it's the same answer but it ties immediately back into psychological safety you can have the most diverse looking or diverse thinking or diverse acting team in the world but if you don't make a space for them again as Sam already said to be heard and not just to be heard to be actioned upon then there's there's hard limits but but I would say um, you know very critical for success. And I think we're going to see more of that over the next few years. You know, there's been all these studies, right? Studies, studies. And I've talked about the studies in various talks. You know, diverse teams are more successful. Teams with more women are more blah, 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 this, this, that. I want to see, you know, I want to see a company run by someone who's not in exactly the same mold. <laughs> and we're starting to see it slowly, but, you know, as, as the people before. And I want those companies to be super successful. And I want to be very clear about what I mean by successful. I don't mean that they have the largest market cap or that they make someone the next richest person in the world. I mean that they actually have a positive impact on the world and sure, make some money. Because again, we are all operating in the constraints of capitalism, but I want to see that. And I think it's it's coming more and more. So I'm excited. To me, the way that I would start answering this is, how do we innovate the process of innovation? It's all about that, right? I mean, I mean, if you, if you look at, uh, I mean, we have been innovating, but then how can we give us a better chance of innovation? And And if you look at any innovation in the past, it's because someone, was courageous enough to think differently and do something differently. And then, and what way, what other way, what other better way to kind of increase that chance by having people who think differently, who have gone through different upbringings, who have faced different circumstances in their lifestyle, right? As a kid, as, a, as an adolescent and, 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 and as a, an adult. So, you know, our, our nurture plays a huge part in the way that we attack or look at a particular challenge and a problem and having people who have faced problems in a different way and then going through those problems, resolving those problems, because if you have hired them or if you can hire them, that means that they are probably successful in, in whatever they have been doing. So by having that kind of people who, are com who come from different backgrounds, diversified backgrounds, and like Adele, you, you said, Adele, like, you know, by 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 not just hiring them for the sake of hiring them, but but really valuing their contribution, giving them the opportunity, making them heard, and then seriously listening to what they have to say, will 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 have more options coming into the that basket, right? And the more options you have, the more things that you can pick from and run with and experiment with, and 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 then creating that culture or, or environment of safety will we'll let them put in more and more items into the basket, experiment, and then see what works and what doesn't. And then we, it's, it's a, innovation is a continuous learning cycle. Everything that you do uh, does not, you know, result in a, in, a, in a glowing light bulb, you know, the Thomas Edison famously tried how many times, like, you know, 10,000 times or something, right, before he ended up with that globe. So, so it's, it's that process, right? You know, have those variety of ideas, 
and making sure that you, you are surrounded by the people who can bring that variety of ideas and then giving those ideas a chance and see what works and what doesn't and learn along the way. 100%. And, and, you know, one of the things I'm super excited about, you know, we were promised, right, that tech was going to revolutionize and change the world. And it, it has in a lot of ways. But I think it's crushingly sad that most of that innovation, not all of it, but most of it has been done by people from Western cultures who have this, like, foundational idea of the individual, you know, individualism as the key. If I'm all right, then that's what matters, right? I want to see innovation from countries, from people, from cultures that are collective, the collective good. You know, we're coming out of this pandemic. We were all in it together. I want to see innovation coming from that angle of the least of us is just as important, you know, as the richest of us. And, and I don't think we've seen enough of that yet. So, um, you know, if you're listening, please start. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um all right. So, the, and then on to our our final question um, from from Sam. Um, so, b being innovative uh, could lead to people spending time on things that may or may not be practical in terms of the current technology, budget, and timeframes. What can we do so we don't fall into the innovation bubble trap? Oh, yeah. So this is the other extreme end of innovation, right? You know. So one end. Yes, innovation is stifled and there's no proper environment or the, the right environment to, to kind of think along those lines. But on the other side of that spectrum is you just continuously experiment, right? Um, so what I would like to caution there um, is, yes, uh, let's not fall into that trap. Let's not continuously continue to pivot because if you, if you continue to experiment without a proper target, uh, what you would end up doing is that you know uh, that's uh, that's probably why I uh, I mean I don't know this could be my 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 narrow opinion but you know I'm I'm happy to be corrected right um, we see so many different startups right but then how many startups how many of those do you do you see really you know getting the foot on 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 the ground and then getting to that scale up and you know the next stage right um, what I what I think there is the biggest problem is lack of um, um, single or lack of North Star, I mean, you need to find where the opportunity is. What is the problem that you're trying to solve? And then clearly define these are the measurements, these are the kind of outcomes that we would like to hit and then work towards. So, so the innovation is how you want to get to that target, right? So you know this is the problem that you want to solve. How do you get to that point where you are at A, like Adele, you mentioned that, you know, start with the place where you are currently in, right? And then look at the problem that you would like to solve. So you are at A, you would like to get to B. The, now, having that B really, really clearly defined with the, at the leadership level, with the people, you know, the, the, the engineering uh, folks who, who will really have to work on it is the key. Because what happens between A and B is where that psychological safety comes in, you know, all that leadership, all the, you know, the slack time that comes in where you get to ponder, think, and, you know, rework and all that, right? So, so time boxing, I mean, if you, if you, this, this perhaps is more relevant to a more established organization because you really have to have your existing business going on as well. So you need to keep that cock spinning. But if, in order to have that slack time, maybe you can time box it. You don't have to wait for a hackathon period, but you can allocate some slack time within your sprint itself, but again, time box so that you don't disrupt your BAU 
more than what it needs to be. I think that's the message, right? I mean, you need to strike the balance because otherwise, if you start innovating at the expense of, of, of keeping your existing customer base happy, yeah, I mean, the, the whole point of innovation is gonna, not going to be there because by the time you come up with a new product, you may not even have customers to start using it. So, so having that uh, um, be the target where you want to get to is clearly defined. Time boxing your 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 um, uh, experiment um, allocation or the, or the time that you want to spend, and and making sure that you learn because every time you fail, again going back to Thomas Edison, every time he did not get the proper globe working, he just learned from it, right? And that's how we ended up working, ending up with a with a, with a proper working one. So every time it doesn't work. Just don't forget about the learning. Where did it fail? How? Why did it? Why did it go wrong? I mean, why did it not yield or generate the result that we wanted? And then, keeping that feedback loop going is the best way to to have a sustainable innovation cycle as well. Because most of the times, if you look at bigger organizations, this is what makes the leadership team nervous because they know that this is money is going to be burned without generating a revenue, and then they would like to see certain some level of certainty, some level of contribution to the bottom line at some point in time. Yeah, 100%. I was actually going to say a very similar thing, which is, you know, diversity of leadership, I would say, is, is super important here because a lot of people who start companies are great storytellers, great visionaries. You know, there are some of them floating around on the social medias at the moment, making lots of noises about, you know, I read this morning, Mark Zuckerberg's again, talking up the metaverse and how awesome it's going to be. You know, it's not a thing yet, buddy, you know, <laughs> and maybe it will be and maybe it won't, right? But I think in your leadership team, you want some folks that have that, you know, dreaming the next big dream, good on you. Uh, and some folks that exactly, as you said, Sam, who are like, how can we be good at what what pays the bills, right? Keeping the lights on, making sure the cupboard is stopped. I think these are, are critical. And I, I feel like I'm really lucky at the moment to work at a company where there's two distinct branches of the company. And, you know, the people that love shiny new things work on UpBank because everything about it is so shiny and so new and so exciting. And I love hearing about that because it's all very exciting but I work on the other side of the company, which is working to make something that is historically, you know, fairly simple into something great, but it's it's more of a legacy. You know, these are the systems that we have to work with and how can we untidy this ball of string? You know, how can we make a thing that already exists and we know what it is and we know what we want to do with it and there's no real surprises? How can we make it truly great, right? So <laughs> there's two kinds of personalities that work at Ferocia and I think that kind of balance for the company as a whole really does create enough space for innovation, but also there's plenty of us who are like, yeah, yeah, cool, uh, but let's just do the housework because it needs to be done. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, and and Nigel, one, one last point that I kind of missed mentioning, and if I could just squeeze it in, is not to get emotionally attached with your innovation because that's that's a, that's a very you know dangerous path to go down because you you know it's not working, but the fact that you're attached to it emotionally and then you think that it's your baby would not let you, you know, leave it behind or let it go. And yeah, that's that's not right as well. So you you need to you need to 
separate your effort, your mindset, your, your dreams with the outcome that you see. And then if you see that, you know, you are not getting to that B because of the way that you are approaching it, you need to reset and, and take a different look. Metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong. I could be wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a very, very, uh, very good, I suppose, questions and ideas around the topic of fostering a culture of innovation. Um, so, look, th- thanks very much for, for joining us uh, this morning to, the, to discuss it, guys. Thank-